Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. We have a jam-packed show for you here tonight, so let's get right into it. Our Flyers are are just killing it record-wise. We'll talk about the uh, you know the other end of things, the process over the results uh, as we get into the show. Let's lead it off with introductions and start it off with the fly by herself, Kelly Hinkle. Okay, so I was – I'm about to call an audible. I was going to talk about how good this team's going to be when Couturier gets back. Um, but I've been seeing, like – there's been a lot of, like, Mike Richards just, like, coming into my life recently, like, just out of nowhere, just, like, little mentions on the broadcast. He's going to be on Riley Cote's podcast tomorrow. He's just, like, leaking into my consciousness again, and I just need to make sure that everyone knows <laughs> that Mike Richards is a legend. And if you don't respect him, you should start. Otherwise, I'll kill you. Thank you. Absolutely respect the legend of 18. Respect it. <laughs> sorry, Call that was... Athlete. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. Listen, it, all, I'm always good for Mike Richards' talk. Like, he was the last athlete I was, like, especially a flyer, I was just a fan of. Mm-hmm. Like, I had just, I guess... The, his last season here is, like, when I got into, like, uh, covering the team for Bleacher Report, and that's, like, not actually working. You know, you're just <laughs> writing articles every now and then. Uh, he was, like, the last time I was, like, a fan. And, like, that's the last time they were, like, super fucking fun, too. Like, before we found out everybody hates each other and we're blowing it up. It was a lot of fun. I will never have that much fun again as a Flyers no. fan. I know it. And speaking of fun, from TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. Hey, everybody. So in keeping with this theme of former Flyers, I think that it is absolutely wild that Ron Hextall is apparently on the Pittsburgh Penguins shortlist for general manager. And I don't mean that in the sense that like I think Ron Hextall would do a terrible job as a general manager of another NHL team. We've, you know, we've we've gone back and forth on Ron Hextall's tenure enough in this show, but I think he's a smart guy. I think he could do a good job somewhere. But it would be crazy, crazy to hire the hyper patient guy who does rebuilds to guide the ship for like the final two or three years of Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin being good. Like, that would just be the weirdest fit. That would be like, you know what it'd be like? It's like when the Canucks with the Sedins hire John Tortorella. Like, it's just like, John is clearly a very good coach. It just made no sense. And Ron Hextall, as general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins at the tail end of Crosby and Malkin's prime, makes just as little sense. I, like, I, I see where you're saying. And I agree that based on what he did here, it makes zero sense. But I also wonder it was if it was just like 
his vision that this is the plan, this is what we're doing, and sticking with this, like, you know, not rebuild, but a rebuild, uh, and we're not deviating from it. Like, I wonder if just given a different circumstance, he would act differently. So, like, if he was on a team that was win now, he would go full Riverboat Ron NHL style? Yeah, like, all of a sudden he's like... Like, he's got all this, like, built up, oh, my God, I want to trade these picks for these players, and now I can, <laughs> and just goes nuts with it. Hey, I mean. Probably if, not. If he gets the but chance, like, just, it would be fun to watch. I mean, I guess maybe not fun for Flyers fans if it works, but it would be interesting to watch yeah. at the very least. Now, that would be, that would be the most flyerish shit ever. If he goes there and, like, gets the most out of them. And, like, Shepard's in a next generation, too. Like, uh, the guy who we fucking fired here. Um, no. I don't no. like it. No. He can't get... Go to Seattle or something, dude. Like, go literally anywhere else. Literally anywhere else. Speaking of moving people anywhere else, uh, it <laughs> seems as if, even without Sean Couturier, the Flyers have uh, some pretty nice depth down the middle. You know, we've talked a lot about people changing positions. Everyone always wants to move ghost to wing. Samuel Moran has moved to forward. What if we move Sean Couturier to defense? He's defensively minded anyway. He's defensively minded anyway. They only have like three NHL defensemen. Well, Mm -hmm. four now that Myers is back and we'll get into that. Why not give it a shot? What if he's the what if he's the perfect pairing for Ivan Provorov? Coots for Coots for Norris. The campaign for starts now. He already won the selkie. We got to get him a new award. <laughs> he's already finished. He's already done that selkie thing. Now let's get him the Norris. William, you've had some some pretty <laughs> crazy ideas. This might be one of the craziest. Take you know, the Charlie- first line center, who's a very good first line center, and teach him a new position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wouldn't even be teaching him a new position. He knows how to play defense. Okay. Come on. Come on. <laughs> the center is the third defenseman anyway. It's the same job. It's really not, though. I know. A little peek <laughs> behind the curtain here. Charlie put the outline together while I was working today, so I had to put my stamp on the show. Somehow, that asinine bullshit is how I chose to do it. Uh, <laughs> so... Let's get into the team. Uh, the Flyers are on a four-game winning streak. They are seven-two and one to start the season. Terrible. Uh, best ten, yeah. Best ten-game start <laughs> since o two o three. They just swept the Islanders, who of course knocked them out of the playoffs in semi-embarrassing fashion. What do we make of this team? Like the the results are the results, and they're seven two and one. They're tied in points with Washington. Uh, Washington, I think, has one fewer game played. They're on right now. Um, I just, but like watching them is a different story than the record, right? Like, how are we feeling about things? So, just to give my simplistic analysis of this whole thing. I feel like when your team is without its best player, which they are, and we're working with half of an NHL defense as they were until like two days ago, they just need to hold it together. Like, of course, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be a little bit of a shit show. But if you can get wins, however you get them, 
then you're just holding it together until you get the team back and then you can start playing the good hockey like if they were fully healthy and they looked this messy I might be a little bit concerned but like I'm not going to be concerned until they have a fully healthy optimized roster and then we can see what we're working with right now I'm just glad that they're getting wins I don't care how they get them yeah it's I'm kind of on the fence about that concept because like on one hand I don't disagree with you and I did point that out right after the Myers injury I believe where I basically said on Twitter that like look these games are probably going to get a little ugly they're not going to be a dominant team but they just got to stay afloat you got to stay afloat until you get Phil Myers back which they have and you get Sean Gutierrez back so on one hand I agree with you on the other you know losing one guy shouldn't turn the Flyers from the team we think they are to like a bottom five five on five team and everything except goals like it shouldn't have that big of an impact and if it does then that's a concern because I think Shogaturi is a great player I don't think he's like the best player in hockey which is the only way that would make any sense no but everything has gotten jumbled up as a result of him being out like, nothing's the way it ought to be, is what I'm trying to say. Like, yeah, I'm not saying that true. Sean Couturier by himself makes the team do good hockey. I'm just saying that, like, all the pieces are out of place. No one's really playing exactly where we wanted them to. Like, I think that the lineup in that first Penguins game, we kind of talked about it. It was like, that's a pretty good pretty good lineup. We kind of liked it. We liked the way it was constructed. We liked the way the lines look. And they had that for four periods. And then it was gone. So, like, maybe, you know, once everything's less jumbled, Everything's going to be fine. Or maybe they just continue to shoot at like 30%. That's fine too. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they're just the best scoring team of all time. Yeah, has anyone considered this? (laughs) (laughs) They don't need need shots. No. Because so many of their shots go in. (laughs) All right. So that's the first question I really wanted to ask was, Charlie kind of alluded to it, but I want to put it a different way. We're all big Sean Couturier fans. We're all, you know, appreciative appreciative of how he plays the game. But is he even better than we thought based on <laughs> Like, have we underrated as his biggest supporters? Like, Charlie, that's you. You're yeah. number one <laughs> Sean Couturier guy. And, like, have even we underrated him <laughs> based on the way this team has played without him? So, I don't... I just think that this Flyers team is not the most talented team on paper. I do believe that they succeed as a sum greater or a whole greater than the sum of its parts. That's the saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they do need all the parts. They need all the bits there and they need them working together in order for them to be the best version of the flyers. Like they're not a team that has lights out talent up and down the lineup. They have good guys, but I, I just feel like, they need to be working as a whole together like a machine and that's how they succeed i think there's i think there's something to be said cuz like if you just look at like the impact of Sean Gattari, it as i said it shouldn't have this big of an impact it shouldn't turn the flyers from a you know a 52% you know play driving team to a 44% like no no player is that good um that said, I do think there's probably something to the idea that Sean Couturier provides a stabilizing force to this lineup. And not just in the sense that like he's a really good player and everybody just feels better about themselves when Sean Couturier is out there when he can play. But it's more that like 
if the Flyers have a couple shifts in a row where, you know, guys are blasting the zone early, the defensive zone early, they're doing dumb turnovers, they're not, you know, controlling the puck in the offensive zone, then Sean Gattari's line goes out there and they stabilize it. You know, they go out there, they have a good shift, they have the puck in the offensive zone. Maybe they don't score, but they have a good, solid, hardworking, playing the game the right way kind of shift. And then the next line can go out there and maybe feel a little bit better that like, okay, that's right. That's the way we have to play in order to succeed. And when you don't have Katuri, you don't have that anymore and things start to snowball. And I think in a lot of these games, things have snowballed where, you know, one bad shift turns into 10 and then suddenly they're getting outshot 14 to two. So that's an element, like maybe an intangible element where Sean Gattari's presence might help this team more than we think he would. That said, I don't agree with you, Bill. Like, I don't think he's, like, actually a top-five player in the NHL, <laughs> yeah, no, and this is the proof. But no, I think like, there might be something to the stabilization saying. thing. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, he's not, he's not fucking amazing. He's good. Yeah, I think yeah. he's the one C you can win a cup with. But, like, he ain't Connor McDavid out there. Like, <laughs> no. He's not the best player in the world. And it's it's just funny to see, like, okay, yeah, we can explain away some of this. But, like, the, the idea that they're still winning I think is good because, like, winning is always better than losing. Like, we have the question here, would you rather them have a bad record but look much more like the team you know, themselves, or at least this, the themselves we've convinced ourselves that they are, the 10-game winning streak team. Uh, and Or, like, what they have now, a great record, but everything else is kind of bad. I do think there's something to be said for, like, you know, they just haven't gotten it fully going yet, and the yeah. fact that they're winning games is still really important. It's really about your expectations. Like, I still expect this team to figure it out and look a lot better. So it's awesome that they're winning games now. Like, yeah, regression might come, and they might have a little losing streak at some point, but I expect overall that for this team to play much better, and the fact that they already have, what, 15 points, that's pretty good. Can I just say something? If you would rather they were playing well and losing games, you are an idiot. Like, that's not how you do sports fanning. That's just, I mean, like, I'm, I, I hate gatekeeping, but I, I regret to inform you that you are meant to be rooting for your team to win the games, not yeah. just have good underlying statistics. Like, I, sorry. I, like, yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. You. I get what you're saying. And I understand why people are a little bit like, oh, no when they watch these games, because in a vacuum, each one of these games individually has been kind of a mess. But I just can't bring myself to worry that much about it when they're still finding ways to win games. Like, they're not winning games by sheer luck or no, only because yeah. the other team is screwing up. Yeah. Like, they're finding ways to win these games in ugly ways. And like Bill said, banking 15 points in a 56-game season, this is what they need to be doing. Yeah, like, I do I do sometimes worry that, like, because, I mean, look, obviously, you know, Broad Hockey, the website, um, of, of which I was a part of for quite a while, and, you know, it got me kind of my start and everything, and now the type, the type of stuff around the athletic, I do wonder sometimes if, like, we've sort of, in a way, trained at least the online Flyers fan base to really think so much in terms of process that we've maybe forgotten that the results are really important, too. I blame you personally. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you look, like, this. we should be happier that they're 7-2-1. Yeah. Oh, we, we should shouldn't absolutely just be, mad. be happier. 
Yeah, like, I don't think we should be totally happy with the way they're playing, because it hasn't been great, but we should absolutely be happier. Like, yeah. the tone of my post-games has not been celebratory, considering yeah. they're, like, tied for first fucking place. They keep winning! That's the <laughs> it's thing! It's insane! They keep winning games! <laughs> they just... But, like, that's the... Maybe not trained to look at results, but, like, you always say, Charlie, like, past behavior is a great predict predictor of future results, and, like... We look at the way they're playing. You can't continue. To, if they continue playing like this for all 56 games, chances are the results will catch up to them yeah, and problem. they will lose. Very yeah, true. But, like, but it, it, I think it's silly to expect that they will. It's just. Yeah, and that's the, yeah. that's the other part of it is your expectation moving forward. This fan base has Eagles brains. Yeah. It's sure. a sickness. Like they can't. I don't watch Eagles games and I go onto Twitter and every single Sunday. I'm like, wow, the Eagles must really be losing this game. And then I look at the score, and they are, in fact, winning by, like, three <laughs> touchdowns. <laughs> You're not like, wrong. People, <laughs> people can't. And, and, and because there's only 16 games in the season, every single game is, like, the most important game. And everyone has an Eagles brain, and they can't transform themselves into hockey people. It's just, it's, they can't help it. I, I think the reason why I, like, definitely fall more on the realm of, you know, it's good that they have the great record is that... You know, if they were doing this right now, like what they're doing, which is winning games but having a shitty process, at the end of the season, I would be very, very concerned because yeah. I would look at it as, you know, yeah, they're winning and we're all convincing ourselves that this team is really good. But like when they get into the playoffs playing like this, they're going to get wrecked. Mm, yeah. That said, it's the beginning of the year and I don't think they will be playing this poorly from a process standpoint going into the playoffs, assuming they make it. So, like, in a way, the first half of an NHL season isn't really that important beyond just not digging yourself a hole so you can't get into the playoffs. Yeah, bank yeah. points. That's all you need to do. Like, that, like, really. Like, the team you have in the first half is not the team you're going to have in the second half, whether from a, from a personnel standpoint or just from a quality of play standpoint. I mean, look at the freaking St. Louis Blues the year they won the Cup. Like, it doesn't really, in my mind, really start mattering how a team is playing beyond, like, are they winning games and staying in contention in the standings until around, like, the midpoint of the year because that's when you're gearing up for the postseason, and that's what matters the most. Like, this isn't a... This isn't the, prem, the the Premier League where you're you're you win a championship by finishing at the top of the standings in the end of the year. This is a playoff league where you win the championship by winning the playoff bracket. And what matters the most is whether you're playing well going into the playoffs and there's more than enough time for them to fix it. Now, of course, the fear is is what if they just don't fix it, but I still feel pretty confident they will. And that's the like I think because our expectations were so high is work. We're, we're already just looking forward. Like the we assume they're gonna be in the playoffs, you know. So it's not about it's not about the division. It's not about the night to night. It's about looking forward and going. You know, I expect this team to be contending for a cup. I expect a playoff run. Is that possible playing this way? No, probably not. But, like, I, I, they're going to figure it out. I just think they're much better than this, which bodes really well because, again, they're fucking 7-2-1. Like, this is as good of a record start as we could have asked for, right? Like, Oh, yeah. Oh, from yeah. the slow start flyers, yes, this yes. is good. 
Yes. Yeah, that's... All right, so let's get into, um, I guess, the biggest story since the last time... The last time we all spoke, uh, on the show, at least. The Konechny Scratch. Um... He comes out of the lineup. It was on Thursday, AV calls out his top two lines uh, because they just looked like shit through two periods. Uh, and Saturday, he scratches Konechny in the first of back-to-back against the Isles. We all remember Konechny's struggles against the Islanders in the playoffs. Of course, famously, if you haven't heard, he did not score a goal in those playoffs. What? Um, what did we just, one, make of the decision for the scratching? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I didn't love it. I mean, like, I get it. You want to send a message, but I don't, if we're just talking about performance wise, I'm not sure that Travis Konechny was like the worst player on the ice and needed to take a seat. Um, I kind of understand that they kind of had to scratch a winger. They really couldn't scratch a center. Like I kind of get that, but I don't know. I don't, I don't like them. I don't like these kinds of scratches. They bother me. And, like, I think we'd feel a little different. Like, I was fine with it as long as it was, like, a one-night, hey, go watch and figure your shit out kind of thing. Had we not lived through the Dave Hackstall era. <laughs> Fair. Like, I think we would look at this shit a little differently because, like I just said, this is a team with Stanley Cup aspirations. And, you know, from what we've seen with... You know, two different coaches now with Konechny. Maybe there's other ways to reach other players, but for him specifically, it's about ice time. Like, for him, if he's not listening, you have to take away the ice time, otherwise he won't listen. Yeah, I mean, I went from when it first popped out to being like, ooh, wow, that's a, that's a thing, Elaine. And I slowly kind of started to like it. Which, oh is, which is weird. But Jesus, like, I, he's got Charlie now. I, I, That's because he's best friends with Elaine Vino. We've I, all I, seen I think, it. In, in truth, I think the reason why I, why I like it to a degree is that you just said, Bill, a few minutes ago about the idea that we think this Flyers team can be a Stanley Cup team. You know, That's the expectation. That's the hope. And what I liked about this move is it made it very clear that Elaine Vino believes the same thing. And his thing is, it. And his thing is that... I'm not like I'm not coaching this team to try to, you know, win a playoff series. I'm coaching this team because I've been at three stops. The only thing that's left on my resume to get is a Stanley Cup ring. I think this team can do it, and this team is playing like shit. And I've tried everything I can think of to get them to not play like shit. I'm telling them what they're supposed to do. They're not doing it, and this ain't going to cut it. So, I'm going to do something drastic. I, I, like, I guess my thing is I liked the fact that Vino clearly recognizes that this team is not playing well. And that's always my big fear when the process is bad is that the coaching staff and the players convince themselves that, no, actually it's good mm. because we're winning. That's, I, an, that's an important thing to bring up, Charlie, because yeah, yeah, that's kind of yeah. what I wanted to say in the first segment is my one fear when you're banking these points and that part is going well, but you're playing like shit, is you fall into some bad habits because you're still winning. Yeah. And this is kind of a remedy for that. Like, he had some really bad plays in that Thursday game. And 
you know, you hear people say, and I get it to a degree, like, you know, you look at the numbers and you say, well, you know, Scott Lawton's, you know, expected goals and Corsi's worse than, than Travis Connecting. So why didn't you just scratch him? The thing with somebody like Scott Lawton, and I went back and I watched a, a couple of the, the games preceding this move. Yeah, Lawton's numbers have been bad. Lawton has, hasn't been playing great on the whole. But like his mistakes that he was making were the kind of mistakes that like, they don't piss off a coach that much. It's like, it's a two-on-one, and I pass the puck instead of shooting. Like, is it annoying? Yeah. And does it hurt your numbers? Yeah, because you had this golden opportunity, and you got nothing out of it. But that's the kind of mistake that pisses a fan off more than it does a coach, because the coach looks at it as, okay, guy was trying to make a play, probably should have taken the shot, but they did something right to create that two-on-one in the first place, so I'm not going to give him too much shit. The stuff that gets coaches mad is when you have three men down low, 50 seconds into a shift— your job as the forward on the play is to hang back to cover for Shane Gossespierre pinched on the play. You go in deep, and it results in a four-on-one going back mm-hmm. the other way. Like, that's the kind yeah. of play that a coach is like, literally, what are you thinking? Like, that's when they talk about, like, a selfish play. That's a selfish play. And that's yeah. the kind of stuff that Konechny was doing. And that's the point I've been making this whole time about the defense is that Yes, the Flyers' defense is limited. Yes, they need more puck movers. They need to get at least one more top four guy in the long term, I think. But the forward core on this team is good enough to protect them and to shelter them. They just weren't doing it. Like, they were taking too many risks. The forecheck was either too aggressive or non-existent. And the defensive coverage was awful. Like, they were they were just blowing coverages. They were blasting the zone too early. And, like, it was mind-boggling to me that the forwards look at a situation when it's like, okay, we just lost Phil Myers. We already have a limited defense to begin with. And they, instead of saying we should provide more cover for the, the limited defense, they then, in practice, provided them even less cover. Like, that's on the forwards. The defense yeah. is what it is. The forwards could play a lot better. And I don't know if scratching Travis Konechny is going to work to get the forwards to play better, but nothing else was. So I didn't really have a problem with them trying this. And yeah, like to your point about it. To your point about Lawton, like it do, it just makes less of an impact. Yeah. Like we all we love Scott Lawton. You know, he's a he's a nice utility player. You can put him anywhere in the lineup. He's really worked hard to turn himself into uh into a regular NHLer. But like you scratch him, it's like okay, you you scratched a bottom six or yeah. whatever. You scratch Travis Konechny, and everyone goes like, oh fuck, he is one of our three best forwards because the coach just said it to the media. <laughs> He's one of our three best forwards. Like, so like, it does kind of send a message. Now we can get into the whole idea of like, you replaced him with Sam Moran, who went on to play five thirty. Fair, like he got very nine fair. Shifts. <laughs> Like, maybe that's not the best idea when, okay, we're already missing, you know, we're already missing uh, Sean Couturier, so let's take out Travis Konechny and replace him with someone who's going to have zero impact. Like, maybe that's not the best call, but, you know, they wanted the big body in there. Um, Whatever. I'd like that Sam Moran was smart enough to know he shouldn't fight Matt Martin up to nothing. I really appreciated that when he said that at intermission. I was like, way to go, kid. Way to go. 
Hmm. Still should have done it, but way to go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's what the people wanted out of him. Indeed. What the fuck else is he in the lineup for? <laughs> Literally nothing he else. He played five minutes. That was the thing that was super frustrating to me is that, like, everyone was yelling about getting Sam Moran a game so that we stopped getting run over by the big bad Islanders, and they were running over the entire team the entire time anyway. Oh, my God. Can we, like, can we for a second talk about some of the officiating? Like, I, I don't like, it was so I don't like, bad on Sunday. Real bad. I don't so like bad. to harp on it. Yeah, I don't like to harp on officiating because, like, it's bad in all sports and it's bad for all teams. But straight up, the Islanders don't have a system. They just fucking cheat. Like, <laughs> they're criminals. They're a bunch of criminals on the ice just breaking every rule imaginable. And since they do it on every shift, yeah. it's just their style. Yeah, that's the thing that I don't understand is, like, is that what's happening? Like, they do it so much. Like, yeah. all they do is interference. So they just can't call it? Because it's, it's too much? Like, no, I don't it, understand. It, it's kind of like the like the early 2000s New England Patriots strategy on defense, which was if we do pass interference on every single play, they can't call on every play. <laughs> dare, dare the officials to throw a flag on every play. It's straight up the exact same strategy. Yeah. They're not going to call interference every 45 seconds, so we can interfere every 45 seconds. It's fucking unbelievable. It's and an then that cross check, that cross check to Limblom, that shit was ridiculous. There were so I just saw so many ridiculously uh like unpenalized plays over the weekend. I just had to yell about it for a second. Uh we're going to take a quick break and be back on the other side. We're going to talk about Elaine Vigneault. Uh, we're going to talk about some other things. We'll see. I haven't fully scrolled through the uh, outline yet, so we'll get to it. And uh, it'll be a, as much of a surprise to me as it is to you. We'll be back on the other side. <sighs> okay, everybody, we are back. Now let's talk a little more about Elaine Vigneault. Um, you know, we just talked about the, the decision to scratch uh, TK, bring in Samuel Moran, He's, he's been juggling the lines a little bit. He's been, uh, you know, criticized in the past for sticking with guys like Thompson and Grant. Uh, what do we think of what he's done so far this season? Like, can we pin the team's inconsistent play on him somewhat? Because this team, like, again, granted they're winning and we should be happy about that. But they haven't looked good really since the end of the winning streak right before the COVID break last season. It's a completely fair point. And, you know, I don't think – I guess I'll take this back to, like, a debate I was having with people on Twitter over the past week, which was mostly about, like, Elaine Vigneault's system. And yes. there were people who were criticizing Vigneault's system, were saying that he changed the system, which I, I really don't think they have. But that's besides the point. Basically, this all kind of goes back to the immense amounts of criticism that Vigneault got at the end of his tenure in, in uh, New York when Twitter really, really piled on him. And I basically decided that Elaine Vigneault was this moron who couldn't coach. Um, and that's where all this really stems from. And what's interesting to me about that idea the idea that, like, this is all Vigneault's system's fault is that I think he's being criticized for the wrong thing. Like, I absolutely 100% believe that Elaine Vigneault deserves criticism for this start, even though they're winning. Like, so you have to throw that out there. They are 7-2-1, so you can't get, like, too, too critical. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's the coach's job to get his team 
to do what he wants them to do. And he's been unable to do that. That said, I don't think there's like anything inherently wrong with their system because it worked the entire second half of last season. They were doing then what he wanted them to do, and they were taking apart teams on a nightly basis. But that doesn't mean, like, just because you say that, like, it's not Vino's system's fault. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with his system. But it's his job to get the team to play it right. And so far, they have not. So to me, that's where, like, don't criticize him, don't criticize him for the system. Criticize him for the inability to get the team to play his system. And for a 10-game stretch, not the end of the world that they've been, you know, kind of a mess and, you know... They're, they didn't have a training camp, really. They, they didn't have a preseason. Like, okay. But the longer this lingers, the worse it reflects on Vino. Because, again, it's coach's job to get the team to play well. And when you're one of the worst play-driving teams in hockey with all the talent the Flyers have, it doesn't look good on the coach. So can, we, can I take Charlie into the weeds a little bit here yeah, on the sure. system things? Because, I mean, I was reading along with this, and it was very interesting to me because— I find as someone who did not play the game and who does not have the benefit of watching practices where you can, I think, kind of see a little bit easier what exactly a hockey team's system is. Watching it in real time on the ice, I think, is a little bit more difficult for just a a regular fan to know exactly what is Elaine Vigneault's system. So that being said, it looked to someone like me that they were playing a different kind of hockey in the playoffs last season than they were in the regular season last season. And I kind of remember them saying that they were, they needed to play Montreal's game or like do something to, to get month. Like some, some comment I remember being pissed off about because I was like, why would you play their game? You make them play your game. Like that should be the, the goal. But it, it just, I guess And I don't know if it's because the results were so much different. Like, they went from being really good to being really bad. Um, But it just didn't feel like the same kind of hockey. And the start of this season felt more like what we saw in the playoffs than what we saw in the regular season last year. And I, I, I don't know if they've changed systems, like, if they're moving pieces around. It just looks to me different. I mean, you make you make tweaks. That's the thing. You 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 tweak things in terms of you know the focus, in terms of the degree of pressure, in terms of you know slight positioning tweaks. But like, it's not as if the Flyers changed up the entire structure of their forecheck or their defensive zone philosophies or things like that. Like, what changes do I think they made in the Montreal series? series? I just think they played more conservative. You know, I think, mm. and and part of that I've argued was driven by the fact that for whatever reason, the Flyers' offensive creativity in the playoffs was just non-existent. So no longer were they were they proving able to connect on the type of creative passing plays that they had done throughout the regular season. So it was like, okay, we got to simplify things. We got to, you know, essentially stop taking as many risks, which made them a less dynamic-looking team. But I don't think they like changed like what they were doing in the neutral zone, like they pretty much have always in my eyes ran a one, two, two, 
that's aggressive. So you have, you know, the first four checker, you know, is, is the guy up, you know, up, you know, mm-hmm. att- essentially attacking the guys trying to move up the puck. And then you have F2, who's one of the guys in the second wave, kind of does like tandem pressure. You know, F2 and F1 switch spots a lot as they're trying to pressure, you know, the other team as they're moving up. But it's like the Flyers have pretty much done that since Vino took over. I mean, I remember interviewing Vino after it became clear because, you know, Scott Gordon ran a 1-3-1. And I, at one point, I remember talking to Provorov last year, and Provorov was like, I hated the 1-3-1 because I had to play conservative and I hated it. Mm. So when I saw they switched to a 1-3-2, I asked Vino about it, and he talked about it. You know, he's like, yeah, you know, he gave me, like, an answer about, like, the distinction between the 1-3-2 and the, and the 1-3-1 and, you know, why he felt like this was a better fit for this team and whatnot. So, like, that's – I don't – think that they changed that for the playoffs I just think they changed the emphasis and that happens all the time I mean for certain teams you change the emphasis of your system in order to bet to for what the coaches believe better match up with a specific team add in the fact yeah like so just to like because they wanted to counteract Montreal's speed they didn't want to get burned suddenly F2 is in a support role rather than an aggressive role is basically like what you're saying yeah, just like a little taking less, yeah. you know, fewer risks. You know, you're, you know, maybe you you tell F three on the four check, you know, really hang back, you know, or you tell your defenseman, you know, don't pinch as much. You know, I know the system allows you to pinch up the boards to try to keep pucks alive, but like that's just not working for us against this team because they're trying to kill us in transition. So unless you really think you have, you know, unless you like. Rather than pinching on a 60-40 puck battle, only pinch when it's 80-20. Like, those are the types of tweaks that you make in-game to counter what another team's doing. You don't, like, overhaul the whole thing. Yeah, that makes sense. It's just, I don't know what it is. Like, the feel of it is so different. Are they still not doing as aggressive as they were in the regular season last year? Like, are they still being more conservative like they were in the playoffs? See, I think part of the problem this year is that they tried to go back to being as aggressive. And they're just not executing it. They're, and they're getting killed. Yeah. Like, they're, they're getting burned. And this goes back to what I was saying about the forwards not providing support for the defensemen. Like, they're coming so often over the first, especially the first, like, six or seven games. It's gotten a little bit better over the last couple. But so often were three guys going in on the four check yeah. Getting getting pinned, and then the other team was rushing back up ice with a three on one or a three on two because the forwards were behind the play and they weren't winning battles. Like that's not playing conservative. That's playing over aggressive, or play, maybe it's not playing over aggressive, but it's playing aggressive and then not winning the battles you need to win mm-hmm. to justify the aggressiveness. Yeah, they were. I mean, they were giving up odd man rushes. Like it was like Pavel Kabina trying to get back again. Yeah. Like they couldn't. They it was just four on two every time back. It was freaking insane. All right, let's talk about some of the lineup changes we've seen since the last time we all spoke. Uh, Gosses Bear's back, and Yay. that's exciting. Man, that Saturday game, like, he gets his feet wet, he's back, he looks solid. Like, halfway through the Saturday game, I'm like, you know, he looks okay, but not dynamic. And then he has the great pinch on the on maybe the first goal. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, to set and I, that I, don't think, I don't think he got an assist on that, but it was he a really didn't good one. He didn't get an assist on it. There were two other assists, but he had a great aggressive pinch uh, to set up that goal. And then, of course, makes the play to set up the Lawton game winner in overtime. Man, he just, 
he looked like Ghost again for the first time, and it was real exciting to see. What have you guys seen with uh, Shane Goss' bear? I'm into it. Yeah. It's exactly what this team needed. Like, we desperately needed Shane Goss' bear to be something resembling old Shane Goss' bear. Like, it solves a problem immediately. And, you know, it's, like, relieving, in a sense, for me. Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm not ready to say Ghost is back by any means, you know, yeah, in terms of, like... he's not, like, first three years Ghost. No, yeah. no, 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 he's definitely he, not. He's making some mistakes. He had that one really rough turnover, I think it was in the third period, near his own net, that, like, was like, oh, boy, that was... That, oh, was, the, that, was, that was last year Ghost. Gustafson-esque. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was rough. But, like, the thing is, like, like Shane Gossesbear is always going to do that sometimes. Unfortunately, like, that's, you know, yeah. that's Shane Gossesbear. He's going to take chances. He's going to try to make plays. He's not the biggest guy, so sometimes he's going to get muscled off the puck, and that's just, you know, the risk-reward you take by playing Shane Gossesbear, especially if you're going to play him higher up in the lineup when he's going to be more likely to face, you know, first and second lines and top D pairs and things like that. But I think he's been good, and... It's important to remember. Like, there were a couple times, I think it was the Thursday game, where he got, like, sort of burned on the rush. But like, in his defense, he got back and actually ended up deflecting both pucks away from the guy covering, you know, the guy who was trying to beat him to the outside. But, like, he didn't look quick. And we've yeah. talked about how Ghost, you know, his top-end speed isn't elite. His, his elite aspect is his quickness, his first few steps and whatnot. So, like, he can get burnt sometimes. But he did look slower than you would expect him to. The thing you got to remember is that, like, this guy had COVID, Mm -hmm. okay? And he missed the first two weeks of, like, camp and the regular season and is probably still kind of trying to get his win back. So the fact that he looks this solid already, the exciting part is, like, if he gets himself into, you know, the kind of condition that the other guys are in because they're essentially two weeks ahead of him— Presumably, he might look even better, which is a pretty exciting thought. I think it was Saturday's game. He did the, uh, he was on the right side, so it didn't like set him up in the middle of the ice to take the shot, uh, like it does when he's on the left. But he just did the little, the little stop start move. Yeah, I remember that. And I was Mm -hmm. like, yes. Oh, yes. What a, what. I just missed it. Thinking about what could be with him again is always very exciting. How has he looked with Ivan Provorov, do we think? I like what I'm saying. I like it. Yeah. I mean, the numbers are, are solid so far. The, you know, by shot attempt differential is not great. They're at 48.17 core C4 percentage. But by expected goals, they're at 58%, which is friggin' awesome. So, and they're at, and when they're on the ice, the Flyers have outscored opponents 4-1, to one, which is pretty good. So, promising early results by the numbers. That's this team doesn't shoot the puck, so it's impossible. They, they only shoot. They only shoot to tap pucks into an empty net. That's it. So like to outshoot like the 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 Corsi differential means nothing to me at this point because they refuse to shoot the fucking puck. I've seen too many shifts where it's like the entire time the Flyers have the puck and maybe they have one shot attempt. It's like that was forty five seconds. How did you not direct one towards the net? Like, so I'm not worried about that, but like the expected goals, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what I'm seeing is just they're not giving up a ton and they're on the ice creating together, and that's what we loved about them the first time. It just helps so much that Pro Rob has somebody you can move the puck next to him. 
Yeah. Like that's the big thing. And you know, is Are you good. Telling me Justin Braun wasn't the answer. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get to him later, maybe if we have time. But we'll wait. <laughs> we'll see. Um, yeah, the uh, I'm not saying the ghost is the perfect partner for Pro Rob. I don't think he is the perfect partner at this stage of his career and at, no. at the stage of the career that that Ivan Provorov's at either. But for now, he's good enough. You know, it's he's the best good option enough. that we have. Exactly. Yeah. And it's holding its own so far. You know, reserve the right to change my opinion if it falls apart mm-hmm. in the future. But right now, Ghost is doing, you know, aside from racking up the points, and he, I think he finally got on the board um, on Saturday. I don't think he got on the board on Sunday, although I could be wrong. Did he, did he get an assist on that? Uh, no, I don't think he did. I don't think he got an assist on any of the goals on, on Sunday, but I could be wrong. Um, so it would be nice to see him, you know, contribute a little bit more offensively. But in terms of just, like, holding down the fort, he's done everything you could realistically hope he could do. And in terms of uh, in terms of being the best option right now, like Kelly said, it helps keep the Sanheim Myers pair together, yes. and that get, and that's the whole. The defense is built around the idea of Provorov with somebody will be fine, and then we have a very good second pair in Sanheim Myers. I am shocked. Phil Myers is back. Yeah, it does seem kind of fast, right? I didn't <laughs> yeah. think he would be back so soon. The the doctors just have apparently told him that he can't make it any worse by playing. Oh, well, there you go. So, I always love that. <laughs> can't injure it worse, so it's just pain tolerance, I guess. And he told Vigneault, he actually told Vigneault, like, midway through last week, he apparently went up to him before practice, is like, I can play, coach. And then Vigneault looks like, nah, you can't. But then this, <laughs> then this weekend, he's like, I guess he can. <laughs> Yeah, then he fucking he watched a few more minutes of Eric Gustafson and Justin yeah. Braun, Robert Haig, and he's like, "You got both your arms and both your legs. Get your ass Get out in. there!" Oh <laughs> like, uh, yeah, like I they were talking on the broadcast. It was like Wednesday or whatever, and they were like, "Yeah, Phil Myers thinks he can play. Uh, the coach isn't so sure yet." <laughs> like, yeah, well, then he watched that game. <laughs> like, yeah, seriously. I, I'm I'm just happy to have him back. Um, I, I still think that pair has another level they can get to. Looking at these numbers, like, they're tremendous. I just think there's another, like, there's still another level they can get to. But it's, like, it just bodes well that they have at least four NHL defensemen now. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I don't even, I don't even know what to make of the other three guys. But at least we have these four that can take up two thirds of the game. Like, seriously, because the third pair at this point is approaching, like, parent Krychek levels of terrible. Like, it's getting real bad back there, and I don't really know how you fix it at the it's moment. Been, it's been rough. Um, real bad. But I guess th- this, and that's a good segue into kind of the question I wanted to ask yeah. you guys, which is, you know, last week, I think the main theme of our show was basically, Chuck, you should probably do something about this defense question is is that okay you've got myers back from injury ghost is working pretty well with Provorov. are we okay with this top four for now and then the follow-up is is it now less urgent to go out and immediately trade for a defenseman like where are we at in terms of the like chuck do something debate i think it does feel less urgent with ghost being back and playing relatively well it does feel less like an, oh my God, we have to fix this now problem and more of a, we can see how this goes and maybe later in the season, we might have to make a move if it's not going well. Like right now, I feel like 
you don't have to do a panic move. You can at least chill a little bit. And if you want to make a move, wait for a good one to come up instead of just going to get somebody to fill the hole. Yeah, that's um I think they can be like listen, if if Chuck sees somebody available and goes and gets him, you know, before we get this show posted, I'll be happy about it cuz they don't have six guys they can depend on every night. But I do think it's it's less urgent and like I don't care if we lose the trade, give him every first round like you can take a breath, yeah. see how it goes. But also like at the end of the day the team matters, not Shane Goss despair, but like Okay, you go out and get a top four guy, preferably someone who can play with Provorov, that bumps Ghost down. Does Ghost Haig or Ghost Braun or whatever, does that fix the third pair? Because to me, it doesn't. Like, we're in the same situation now. We have a bad third pair still. Has Ghost ever played with Friedman? Is that a thing that could happen? I I don't think so. I think Friedman's almost exclusively played with Haig. It seems like Vigneault is totally out on Mark Friedman, which I can't understand given the other two options that exist at the moment. Like, there's. I don't think he's. It just. I don't think he's like totally out on him. I just think he's a little annoyed with him right now. But I don't think he's like relegated to the doghouse forever. It's just for whatever reason. And in in fairness, like I don't really know why. Like Mm -hmm. I kind of didn't hate Friedman. I didn't love him, but yeah, he was fine. And Vino kind of like went at him, you know, in a in a it was it was the the practice right after the final game Friedman played. He was just sort of like, yeah, I haven't loved it. I think he has another gear. He can play with more bite. I think was the term he used. Mm. And then right after that, he came out of the lineup and he hasn't been back since. But I don't think that means that like he's now never we're never going to see. It's like a it's like a Godfather like oh Friedman never <laughs> going to see him again. But like I just don't think he's in his good graces at the moment. I think he can get out of it though, like out of the doghouse. I think it's like I like I don't know what the specific issue is with Friedman, uh, but it just seems kind of like one of those old hockey man things. Like Friedman, because he's a borderline guy, like needs to do everything right exactly how the coach yeah. asks, or he's not gonna get a shot. And like it annoys the coach because he's probably expressed that to him. Like you need to do X, Y, and Z to be in this lineup. And if you're not doing Z, you will not be in the lineup. And it's just like that type of guy has to do exactly what they're there to do. Like Nicholas Albe Q Bell. Like we had to see him come in and just be as physical as humanly possible and still create some, uh, some offense for him to stick in the lineup. And then he did, and now he does, and it's all well and good, but it took, like, several coaches for that to seemingly sink in for him. I wonder if Friedman is in just a similar situation role-wise. I don't know, man. Like, even if if you agree that that's a good strategy, coaching-wise, it's just, like, with as bad as Braun and Gus have been, it's like, maybe you... No. Put the other guy in, just see what happens, because these two are, like, actively bleeding at all times. And, 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 and Haig. Don't forget Haig. I mean, Haig's Haig, yeah. awful, too, but, you know. <laughs> at least it appears we're done with him. Uh, there are bigger problems at this point, which, like, who would have thought? Yeah. No, and, and I'm not singling out Haig. I'm just saying that, like, all no, three of those They're third better options have been yeah. bad so far. No, and that's what makes the Friedman thing surprising, is, like, hey, the other three, we know they suck, Maybe he doesn't, but there's always that like coaching thing of, well, I know how they suck. I don't know <laughs> yes, how. Exactly. I don't know how Friedman's going to suck, and I wanna, 
I'm gonna, I can, I'm, you know what, I'm getting off of this because the joke I, I kind of love that to be it. honest because I, I actually like, I, I think there's a lot true. more true to that than you think. Yes, it's 100 percent true. I mean, Hackstall basically said it. How can yeah, we, we never learned take it. those? Like mm-hmm. he basically said it to us. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, those guys don't come out of the lineup because I know where they're gonna fuck up. They're like, predictable. <laughs> yeah, they're predictably bad. Reliable <laughs> in all three zones. Yeah, reliably bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so I know everyone's real excited for this one. It's the toughness debate, baby. <sighs> this team, like, this team needs to get tougher. Absolutely. But to me, toughness is like a mindset. Like, to me, toughness is when the Islanders are holding you on literally every shift, run the fuck through them and yes. force a call. Truck somebody, even if you take a penalty. Yes. Make it obvious that this is what is going on. Be tougher in the way you play. Not necessarily, we need tough guys. But yes. Samuel Moran was injected into Saturday's lineup to be a tough guy. Got nine shifts, one of them in the third period. Played a whopping five minutes and 31 seconds. Um, I mean, this has... Unless you're like the Islanders' fourth line where your tough guys can be played regularly, it really doesn't matter that you just have him sitting there on the bench. It doesn't make you any tougher, right? He's not jumping off the fucking bench like this is slap shot. Like, this isn't (laughs) the 80s. I'm very glad that you opened this debate with that. Because that's kind of where I am. I generally roll my eyes at the idea that the reason the Flyers are bad is that they aren't tough enough. Like, I think that's a little bit silly. Um, But they don't need to... There seems to be a lot of focus in going to get someone. Like, people want to go get a Tom Wilson as if there are many Tom Wilsons running around the league that will beat the shit out of you and also score a lot of goals. Like, that's not a thing. So I don't... I don't want them to go get anyone that's tough. I would, however, as you said, like to see the guys that currently exist do something when it's necessary. Like, when Nolan Patrick gets his tender little skull bashed into the boards by an Islander and everyone just looks at it, like, that's when you just go cross-check someone in the head and take a penalty. Like, that's what you do. That's fine. Go do that. Because you got to say, no, 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 no. You're not going to do that (laughs) without any kind of repercussion. But that's kind of, I think, where I get on board with the toughness thing is that there needs to be, as you said, a little bit more you're not going to fuck with us this way attitude out of this current crop of players, which I absolutely think that they can do. Like, these aren't a bunch of, like, weak little like crybaby piss boys, like they could be tough if they wanted to. They're just not doing it. And I don't know why. Yeah, the the Sunday game was, you know, there were some moments where like you couldn't ignore the fact that the Flyers were not responding. Like the Patrick moment was one. The Limblom Limblom. moment was another. And like, look, I, I was there. I was in the arena. The Flyers bench was screaming at the Islanders and at the official to do something about it. But like, sorry, like, Yelling at him ain't enough. Like no. No. this dude's this dude's cross checking the guy who came back from cancer in the back multiple times. Like somebody got to go over there and punch him in the face. Yes. Like sorry. Yeah. It, it no, might, at that it, point it, it, they're it daring like you to do it. But like it, yes, that that has to happen. You have to defend your player. 
when that's going on, they're challenging you to do it. Mm-hmm. That's that like, go ahead and st- come on and stop me then. And like, if oh, you you're yelling. Yeah, and if you don't stop them, they keep doing it. Yeah, which is not, exactly like, what not, happened. I don't think there's an intimidation or a fear factor. Like, you don't frighten them out of doing it. It's just the idea of, I can get away with it, so I'm going to get away with it. If, mm-hmm. like, I, I, it just bought, like... Fuck, you see that happen? Like, Limbla, of all fucking people, all people, go fucking stand up for that guy. He's playing, he just came back from cancer. He's down some bones to play for this team. Like, go knock someone the fuck out. The, the one thing I, I always go back to with this debate, and it, it's one of those things that, you know, some days I think it's one way, some days I think it's the other, but I, I wonder about the, the toughness debate whether like we're having this conversation of like go out there and, and you know when that happens you gotta you gotta fight back you, you gotta get retribution i do wonder how much of it is like the absence of it is actually hurting the flyers on ice you know results and production and how much of it is just like fans want to see it so they act like, well, it has to be hurting the on-ice results because it would make me personally feel better about watching this team if they stood up for Oscar Lindblom. Like, I just don't know. And, like, you'll, you'd obviously hear from people who, you know, who, who, who play the game, you know, whether it's at the lower levels or the higher levels, that, like, absolutely having that, you know, everybody has your back type of mentality helps the team. And I don't doubt it does to a degree. I mean, it was fun for me, especially last year when I think it was um, – Forget who took who, who knocked out Konechny, concussed him in a game against the Ottawa Senators, and then Lawton basically spent the rest of the game just like hitting everybody. Yeah, and that to me was like that's what you that's yeah. what you want to see. That said, like, did that actually make it more likely the Flyers are going to win that game, or did it just make it more fun how they won it? So like, I don't I, know. I I I get that, but also for me, I think this season specifically, like they have to play the Islanders six more times. Yeah. And you said to them on Sunday, you can cross-check our cancer kid in the ribs over and over again, and we're just going to yell at you. So next game, like, what's going – they're just going to do it again. Like, they're going to play the same kind of game that they played on Sunday because they know that they can and nothing's going to happen. And it's not – it's not even that you need to fight. Like, you don't need to have a fight. Like, you don't need to do a Wayne Simmons and, like, beat the shit off someone with your fists. Like, if you do, okay, cool. But you could just, you know, hurt them somehow with your body. Not in, like, a dirty way. Like, I'm not saying, you know, leave your feet and nail them in the head. But you can make them pay for what they did. Which the Islanders are also quite adept at. Yes. And, and the Flyers could do it. Like, they have the yeah. guys that could do it. Like, like Charlie just said, Scott Lawton, who is not like a huge hulking man, ran around the ice hitting everybody because he was pissed off that Travis Konechny got concussed. That's the way, like, you should be pissed off, and you should do something about it. And, like, again, getting back to the projecting forward conversation from earlier, like, a lot of times it is the smarter thing to do, take the power play, score a goal, laugh at them. Except they but, weren't even know, getting they weren't getting yeah. calls. <laughs> when, yeah, that's the call, true. when the calls aren't being made, you kind of have to take matters into your own hands. And what do we know about the playoffs? Well, in the playoffs, there are no fucking rules. No calls. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. allowed to run around like maniacs and they just get fined or suspended after the fact for maybe a game. Like it's <laughs> you know, you're kinda gonna have to play 
a different brand of hockey at some point if you're going to try to win a Stanley Cup. And I'd like to see a little bit more of that out of them now to know they're capable of doing it. Yeah. No, and, and the thing is, and this goes back to something Kelly said, like, I do think there are players on this team that... It's not even that, like, because obviously every player can, like, get into a scrum. You know, that's not hard. You're a hockey player. You can, you can, you know, push and shove. But I'm talking about, like, guys who have the mentality that they would, like, actually just go and bury a dude. Like, there's no reason why Phil Myers, maybe not, you know, coming back from injury Phil Myers, but there's no reason Phil Myers, who's bigger, stronger, and faster than pretty much everybody on the ice, can't just go out for a shift and clock a guy. Like, he can do it. Like, we talk about, like, oh, well, the reason why Robert Haig is in the lineup is because he hits people. Like, okay, well, go out and hit somebody. And don't do one of those, like, little weak hits. Like, actually bury someone. Like, they have guys in the lineup who could. Like, I'm not expecting, I'm not expecting Jake Voracek to go out there and crush a dude. Like, that's just not his game. Like, it's not, it's not something that, like, automatically pops in his head that he's going to do it. But, like, a Scott Lawton certainly can. A Nick Albee Cubell certainly say, can. Yeah, we know Cubell can. And hey, man, I've seen Jake fight. Jake can throw him. <laughs> That's true. That is true. <laughs> but you see my him. point. Like, like yeah. I'm not going to be like, like yeah, yeah. why didn't James Van Reems like, just go out and punch that dude in the face? Like, I'm, I'm not expecting that from him. That's not his natural mentality. But they have guys who aren't, like, who think to do that quicker than a JVR might. Yeah. JVR's from Jersey. He has no fucking excuses. He better know how to play. <laughs> 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 so uh, real quick uh, to wrap things up we have a couple more uh, things here at the bottom to get into uh, let's get into the biggest uh, surprises and disappointments of the season who has everyone been most pleasantly surprised by so far mm, I kind of it kind of seems like we talked a lot before the season about how it would be cool if Farabee did a Konechny and took a step forward, and it kind of seems like he might be. So that's that's like a nice little pleasant surprise. It's it's been cool. I think what's what's interesting about him is that like all of his production has pretty much came in two games, mm-hmm. two games. which yeah. is like it's weird, but I don't necessarily think it's bad. Like I know everybody screamed and yelled about JVR being streaky and whatever, but like when you're the eighth or ninth best forward on the team, I don't know if it's a terrible thing if like. Once every six games, you just explode for two or three goals and yeah. sing- and like single-handedly win the team the game. Like you're not the guy who the team is counting on to do that every night. So if rather than like you know every third game you get an assist, you say every sixth game you like are the first star. That's kind of fine for the eighth or ninth forward on a team. Mm-hmm. No, and that's like that's a great. Uh, it's. It's a great look at the inconsistency of young players, but when they reach their potential, it's multiple goal game. You're not going to get that every night. He's 21 years old or however old he is. Like, he's still 20, I think. He's 20, yeah. Like, But since this is a deep team, they don't need to depend on him any night. And just to, like, real quick, it's something I looked up the other or something I saw the other night, and I, had to, I needed a spot I could bring this up. Brock Besser has two, four, six, eight goals. He's got four two-goal games. Wow. That's it. All <laughs> it's the, all been two-goal games. Yeah. He's had nothing but two-goal games. I just, that, that was wild. And that's when you brought up, uh, when you brought up Farabee that made me, Farabee's a good one. And it's, 
I, I like what I'm seeing out of him, and he's not hurt. Like, you can play him different spots in the lineup, and he's one of those guys you can play him above maybe where he belongs so you can more evenly distribute talent. I've liked what I've seen out of Farabee. Yeah, I'll go with uh, someone who will make Kelly a little annoyed. I'll say Brian Elliott. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think. I had real worries about Brian Elliott Try this year. Try to tell you people. I mean, the guy turns 36 in a couple months. I was real worried that, really? like, we might have, you know, tried to go one year too far with Brian Elliott. And he looks real good. Yeah. You just use him a little bit. <laughs> and he's great. Yeah, that's he's the perfect backup yes. behind a goalie who you think is the franchise guy. Yes. And, yeah, like, I'm definitely pleasantly surprised by him. I don't know if I had... I don't know if I was worried, but I didn't think he'd be 3-0 and with a 932 save percentage. Like, I didn't think he'd be the reason they'd won a game or two already. It's a short season, so, like, yeah, right. I mean... Yeah, that's... I, <laughs> this is significant if he gives you two wins, season. that's fucking you're good! Like, <laughs> I gotta go with my boy JVR. I'm not hmm. pleasantly... I'm not, it's not like I'm surprised by him because I expected him to be good because he's generally a pretty good player. But I like that he's... Hot to start because that gives him the leeway. Like in my post games, yeah. I in my post games, it'll be at least two weeks before people are like, "Hang JVR from the town square." Like at least we have, <laughs> at least we have a little bit of time before they start chanting "lock him up" or something. Reasonable. <laughs> yeah, that's all I. All I. Who's so? Who's everyone's most disappointing player been? Mine's Braun because I spent yeah. the whole fucking off season defending him, and yeah. now he actually does suck, like everyone said he did last year. Yeah, I don't. I don't think anybody expected him to fall off a cliff this dramatically because he's been a real bad. It's been rough, real and uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of with you, Bill, in that you know I'm. Um, Justin Braun defender. I thought he was pretty darn good last year, especially in the role that he played. Yeah. But he just looks really, really slow. This How about year. that Sandheim pairing, bud? <laughs> yeah, that didn't work well. But like, he just, he just looks slow, and I don't remember him looking this slow last year. Like, he's obviously not a burner. You know, he's he's never been this like elite skater by any means. But he didn't look like he was chasing the play as much last year as he has so far this year like I, I pointed this out uh, I think to, to a couple friends after the game that there was a play I think in the second or third period of Sunday's game where he had like a stride and a half on Matt Martin going to chase down an icing and it turned into like one of those like the refs kind of gifted him the whistle <laughs> like it was like he was you could have made a case that Matt Martin passed him Matt Martin is not fast. No. Matt Martin is, like, one of the slower players in the NHL, and he was picking up strides on Justin Braun. And oh, that, that was just one, been... it was one of those moments where, and, like, I, I don't know exactly, like, maybe Braun was a little bit gassed. It was the end of a shift, whatever. But, like, it shouldn't really matter. Yeah. You shouldn't be, like, that shouldn't even be a consideration. And if it is, then it's just, it's a moment where I just step, step back for a second. I'm like, yikes, he, he does seem slower like that's not just a mirage you know that's being so because sometimes you think a guy looks slower because a couple times he got burnt and maybe it was just bad positioning or a long shift and it's just stuck in your head it's it's recency bias or whatever but like that's one of those moments where you just have to be like nah there's there's something here he looks slower 
And that's like, I've noticed one, like that play, I can't remember if it was that one or something else he got away with. And the broadcast pointed out like, oh yeah, he's been chatting up the refs all game and uh, might have paid off for him on that one. <laughs> but like, you know, like Justin Braun, like, you know, the like he has the angle. Like he has that technical part of it. He knows yep. how to position himself. And then when he still gets beat to the outside, you're like, ooh, that's not good. Like, he must be real slow. (laughs) He was there, and they still got by. Like, hopefully, he picks it up. Like, I guess you could say, like, well, he's just getting older, and maybe this is just what the Flyers are going to have to deal with, and, man, that would would not be good for Philadelphia. But maybe this is just a product of the short camp, or maybe he's got a nagging injury. I don't know. But he just – he does not look like the same guy. And so far, the Flyers have not – been willing to scratch him i don't know how much longer they can afford not to keep him in that like not to put him in that rotation because clearly like gus and hager in the rotation Mm -hmm. you know where somebody comes out somebody comes in friedman i assume will get back in that rotation at some point braun should be in that rotation he should he's he's playing just as poorly as those guys He's got that. Uh, he's got that money in the bank account right now. Yeah, and that's Av's thing, right? The money. They're in the making. Bank. They're making some fucking rapid withdrawals, though. <laughs> <laughs> he gonna be in the red real soon. <laughs> You're not wrong. How about you, Kelly? Who have you been disappointed by? Uh, I was trying to think when I was reading this on the outline, and then you put it into my head. I guess Charlie put it into my head by writing it down. Are we allowed to say that Carter Hart's been? A little bit of a disappointment so far. I think that no one wants to say it out loud, but I do think that you could argue that he hasn't been quite as crisp as we would prefer. That said, he seems to be a slow starter, so I'm not like worried about it. But there have been a couple of games where he's letting some stinkers, and it's like, oh, I don't want you to do that. Like, the quality of each individual goal, you can make the argument, has been disappointing. Yeah. But, like... Overall number of goals that have beaten him, I don't think it's, like, been bad. Like, the one game, you know, and the stick smashing and everything, okay. But, like, take that one out, I I think he's been pretty damn good. Like, he won them the Pittsburgh games in the second Mm -hmm. and third period. He did. I thought he came up pretty big in his last game, the first game against the Islanders. I I think he basically had one real bad game. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then, I mean, he wasn't good that good in the Buffalo game, but he wasn't, like, awful. I think the last goal before he got pulled was the only real bad oh, one he yeah, had out of Buffalo that game. game. Yeah, the Yeah, the other 6-1 loss. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, Hart's had some really good games. Can he be better? Absolutely. I'm just not that concerned yeah. about him. Mm-mm. I think, I, I think, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that he's been disappointing so far, but... Okay. He's also like I'm far more concerned about Justin Braun than I am about Carter oh, Hart. God, yes. You know, it's not even that's, that's like, not even freaking close. Yeah, like Hart could be better, and he's still been all right at least. Like Justin Braun has been terrible, and I can't imagine like an old guy gets faster with more games played. Like that, that doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Carter Hart getting locked in, that's probable, you know? Yeah. So, like, uh, yeah, he's been a little disappointing, maybe. But, yeah, Eric Gustafson forgetting what fucking team he plays for every Ooh. time he touches the puck, that seems to be a much larger concern. Yeah, and, and he's he's another reasonable pick for most disappointing. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I think just 
like the expectations weren't super high for him. People were just hoping he would be like decent and instead he's been god awful. So like, yeah, that's a disappointment. But it's not like people came into the season excited about yeah. him like they did mm-hmm. about Carter Hart. No. Like a guy who I came into the season excited about who I will say I thought he, I thought he looked really good last night. But I think before last night Nick Albeck Cubell had not been mm. the same guy that's fair. as he was last season. I thought he was not playing the type of high-octane, effective four-checking game that made him so good last season. And I'm a huge Nick Albeck-Cubell fan. But his play in Sunday night's game was the first time this season I thought he looked like the old Albeck-Cubell. And I wish it hadn't taken him 10 games to get there. So he's he's a minor disappointment for me. I think he can play better. I'm expecting him to play better. But I wanted more from him in the early season, and I wasn't getting it. I thought he he looked pretty good in the Pittsburgh games and kind of tailed off. I just wonder, like, how sustainable his style of play really is night to night. That's fair. Like, and he needs it to be. Like, that's why yeah, he's he, in the he fucking lineup. Yeah. Like, he needs to play that way every night. I just wonder if it's possible. Mm. He's got it. Yeah, I mean, and, and in fairness, like, that was one of the, you know— critiques that he did get in the AHL and it was something I brushed off because I had always gotten good reports from people who watched him on a nightly basis and his underlying numbers always looked really good and when I got the chance to watch him he always looked really good but there was a critique on the part of people down in the AHL like coaches and whatnot that he wasn't consistent you know he'd have really good games and really bad games and games where he'd be doing everything they wanted to do and then games where he would seem to not take a night off but just not be as effective and we didn't see that guy last year. We saw a guy who every night played the same way and played a way that, you know, was relentless and just consistent. And that guy hasn't been the guy I've seen so far this year, and I want to see it. I hope he brings it back. But I'm just acknowledging that that's not a new critique that's been thrown his way. There's definitely a feeling in the Flyers organization that he's a guy who has to be you know, you kind of, this isn't like a great terminology, but like you kind of have to go to the whip with him a little bit sometimes. Mm. Like there's a reason why Vino last year, I think it was like two months into Albe Cubell's time with the team. Like he was, he was on the team. It was his spot. And I think like Bill Meltzer asked Vino, like, what he thought about Vino and Vino said somebody to the extent of like, you know, he looks, he's been, doing, been a real good player for us. He needs to prove that he's a full-time NHLer. And it's like, prove? Hasn't he already proved that? But, like, that's the sort of thing that I think the Flyers organization believes they need to do with him. They need to keep him motivated. They need to keep him thinking that his spot isn't guaranteed. And, you know, now that it looks like his spot is guaranteed, I just hope he's not settling back a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, I think that's definitely something we've heard about him in the past. I, uh, I, I really enjoy watching the guy, so I hope he, I really uh, like he him as a player. Yeah. yeah, so I, I want him to play better. I mean, another guy who, you know, Kelly said about, like, no one wants to say it out loud about Carter Hart. No one really wants to say it out loud about this guy because obvious reasons. But, like, Oscar Limbaum hasn't been great so far. Yeah. We're hoping and and expecting. Yeah. But, like, we're hoping and expecting they're both going to get back to form. Mm -hmm. I really, really hope so. But, like, Oscar struggled. He's had some rough games. Wow, that's a downer to leave you on. Uh, <laughs> let's, let, let, let's end it on a higher note than that. Uh, the Devils have COVID. <laughs> no, oh, that's no, not a high note. No, 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 no. That's not a high note. I wanted to say the Devils have COVID. The Flyers are scheduled to play them, uh, what is it, next Thursday and Saturday? Yeah, the 11th and 13th of February. 
Ha- has there been any schedule adjustments that anyone's heard of? Not for um, those well, games. I, yeah, they they definitely backed up a few, but I don't think yeah. it's affecting the Flyers yet. Um, oh, here's a good here's a good way to end it on a positive note. Ooh. Tony D'Angelo got waived. Ah, you hate to say uh, it. <laughs> I wanted. I wondered if we would like. Bring I mean, we, it we up don't have to all. get into it. We don't have to get into no. it. But like, just just purely as a like laughing at the New York Rangers thing, uh-huh. that is an inherent positive. It is. Yeah, and like. <sighs> You know, he's just such a dick. They just signed him, too. <laughs> Fuck you guys. The fact that they just gave him, like, yeah. $9 million yeah. is kind of funny. It's idiots. It is an epic fail like, on the radio. Especially yeah. considering they, like, did not want to pay him and have tried to trade him and don't yeah. like him. And it was still like, fuck, he had, like, 50 points last year. We have to pay him. Yeah, that's his market value, I guess. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and now his market value? What, uh, how does that convert to ruples? <laughs> All right, oh that was fun. We can wrap it up there. Uh, yeah, so that was broad. What do I normally say? Oh, that is all the time we have. For- <laughs> I was like, there's something I say. I don't know what it is, though. You got there. That is all the time we have for you on Broad Street Hockey Radio this week. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts. And boom, content delivered to you daily. All right, that's it. Uh, I want to go to bed or something. So my name is Bill Matz. For Kelly and Charlie, Steph will be back with us next week. Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah!